Welcome to the Room of Limes. I'm your host, Neil. Today we are joined by Sreya Majumdar, who is a PhD student of sociology and anthropology at the Indian Institute of Technology in Hyderabad and studies natural birthing practices and reproductive justice. I met Sreya while she was a Fulbright Nehru doctoral fellow at the University of Texas at Austin. In this conversation, Sreya begins with the story of growing up in the foothills of India in a community of many cultures. She was always determined to follow her passions and challenge social norms to pursue athletics. At some point, she experienced an incident involving a friend's unwanted pregnancy, and this turned her interest towards the culture and taboos in India around sex, pregnancy, and birthing which she has been researching ever since. We talk about how the over-medicalization of pregnancy has marginalized midwife-assisted births at home and taken autonomy away from women. Is natural childbirth at home riskier than at the hospital? Does the pain of birth need to be dulled or can it be seen as a beautiful and positive experience? Sreya shares her research on these topics her experience of attending a live birth, and her vision for how she would like birthing practices to look in the future, including for herself. Shreya, thanks a lot for coming on my podcast. So the first question that I want to ask is basically a kind of, um, it's like a, an origin story or like a bio. So um, like a brief introduction to Shreya. So basically, what were, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Um, and then on to your kind of academic trajectory. Um, and uh, basically a kind of trajectory of you know how you came to this field and what you have done so far okay sure first of all thank you neil for mm-hmm. inviting me mm-hmm. i'm sure it's going to be a nice conversation with you <laughs> yeah we'll see yeah so uh me uh like i grew up in a small city which wasn't a city earlier it was a town in the eastern part of uh, India like Mm -hmm. and north from uh, like in West Bengal and north from Kolkata like around 600 kilometers north from Kolkata and geographically I was uh, located in a place which is like very close to Nepal and Bhutan and Mm -hmm. so why I'm mentioning this is I grew up with people from different cultures Mm -hmm. and people uh, who speak different languages so which Mm -hmm. was very very nice Mm -hmm. so my first half of my first couple of years I grew up in Darjeeling uh, and then I moved to uh, this little 
you know, small city called Siliguri, which is like uh, almost in the valley. Mm-hmm. And this is a business hub, like, you know. So after the partition, when uh, Bangladesh became Bangladesh, like, you know, East Pakistan. So this was the only, like, Shiliguri is the corridor. It's called the Chicken Neck. It's the corridor mm-hmm. to the Northeast. And so lots of things happen here, like, business-wise. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that way, again, a lot of uh, multicultural mix mm-hmm. here. And it's important in a way because uh, India being so diverse, like... Mm-hmm. I keep telling people I met back in uh, the U.S. in Austin, like many people who I got introduced to over the period of time that I stayed there. It's like a person, uh, me, conversing with a couple of friends from the southern part or the south. Mm-hmm. We are mostly the southern part. The only common language we had was, is English. Like if not for English, we probably would not be able to communicate because that's how mm-hmm. diverse the thing is. And with the food and everything, so diverse. Yeah, like, yeah. I've had to explain this um, to multiple people that India is actually best thought of as a conglomeration of little countries. And uh, when you go from one of these mini countries to another, uh, there's culture that's changing, language is changing... Customs are changing, food is changing, gods are changing, politics is changing, uh, the way that people look is changing. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think most people outside India, well, especially in the US, don't really have a clear understanding that, you know, there are so many languages spoken in India and yeah. so many different cultures. So, uh, why I keep mentioning this everywhere is because this is how I saw my world from the start. Mm-hmm. This is how I saw everybody around me who, mm-hmm. like, we got together in school. We did something specific, like, you know, playing together, studying together, eating food together. But when we went back, we had different kinds of, like, we, we used to be at home talking different languages, mm. eating different food, you know, which does not happen in uh, cities, which had, has, you know, majority of the people of a specific, uh, you know, uh, yeah, community yeah. per se. <laughs> so that way, yeah. I really began, uh, started my life if I can say, you know, appreciating everybody else's culture and, you know, knowing more, like, okay, what language do you speak at home? Oh, this means this? Oh, that's Mm. so interesting. And, you know, what kind of food do you eat? Like, you know, I had so many friends, like Nepali friends, Marwari friends, you know, uh, their eating habits are so different because uh, they're like, uh, though... Darjeeling and Siliguri are in like if I tell you about the kilometers it's like just 72 kilometers 70 kilometers apart but Mm -hmm. then there is a huge cultural shift happening on the way Mm -hmm. so just coming down from Darjeeling to Siliguri used to mean so much at that point now 
now there has been it has become more easier to just travel around it wasn't so around 30 years ago mm-hmm. so yeah that's where my appreciation for you know knowing different cultures knowing different uh, you know people began so growing up i was very much like i belong from a bengali family in india and like being into cultural uh, stuff like you know singing art cultural as in like uh, literature and art is really appreciated around where i grew up mm-hmm. so i have been like like every other parents i have been more pushed towards you know learning music mm-hmm. indian classical music and you know go and do some painting and stuff though i really appreciate all of these things cuz uh, what can be better than music you know but i never saw myself being a musician hmm. i have always been inclined towards more uh, outdoorsy you know physical stuff so mm-hmm. i used to play a lot and that grabbed my interest so hmm. from the start beginning from here i was very very specific about what i want and mm. i always knew exactly what i wanted do you have any siblings by the way i do have a sister oh older and sister younger and yeah. she is like 6 oh. and a half years younger than me oh okay 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 yeah i i guessed wrong because uh from whatever you've told me until now this like oh i just want to do my own thing uh i would expect that to be more of a younger sibling vibe because that's what has happened in my life my sister has basically done all the things kind of by the book uh so that all of she has basically taken care of all the parental expectations of the kind of textbook things to do and i feel like i don't have any expectations on me so i can just like i'm just going to do whatever i want you know so i get that when you say mm-hmm. but then you know uh, very very surprisingly and mm-hmm. very fortunately for me mm-hmm. i never i did ha- have to struggle at uh, making my parents and everybody understand that i want to do this mm-hmm. but then they have been like after a point they have been very accepting of whatever mm-hmm. i want to do so mm-hmm. yeah uh, when i say like i was trained in music for 5 years which is like mm. basically no training because i never practiced mm. and you know i started like because i wanted to do something and i was not mm. allowed to do and you know uh, in uh, indian culture indian traditional way a girl going out running on in the fields is like something okay you don't generally do that not yeah. that they restricted me from doing it but you don't try to excel in something like that mm-hmm. but then i remember like it took me 3 years to eventually convince them that okay i need to go and i need to go there like you know it mm-hmm. heals me it makes me feel good i know mm-hmm. i feel better when i do that i can i can put my everything into that thing mm-hmm. you know so that was sports for me mm-hmm. I so the final uh, convincing happened uh, when I just went for a inter school meet and you know some god sent man he came to me and he's like oh you are good 
so why don't you just uh, you know contact me i can train you and you can do better so that's when everything started happening for me so mm-hmm. i went back i won a couple of uh, uh, events that day and there were other people other relatives and they were like really everybody was just happy to see me win all those and they were like if she really and it's been 3 years that i'm trying to convince my parents to you know just mm-hmm. let me do what i want Mm-hmm. and all this while i'm being trained in music, in singing but then i'm not totally into it because a rebellious side of me is working there it's like yeah like you want me to sing but you don't want me to do what i want to do okay just let's not do anything you want me to go i will go but then don't expect me to practice you know that sort of a thing was playing yeah. and eventually that happened so i went ahead i started training and i got to know more about the indian sports so i was into athletics mm-hmm. uh sports situation and you know you don't choose to be a sports person in india at least 30 years like about 10 mm-hmm. 15 years ago because mm-hmm. that never was a career option Mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah, cannot yeah. be a career option like for people who are middle class or even lower middle class uh they will always push you towards you know getting more educated so that you can mm-hmm. land with a decent job mm-hmm. and you know in quotes government job back yeah, then yeah, yeah. Yeah, things are changing is, when i was a kid uh, sports was kind of seen as like a waste of time that could yeah. have been spent studying <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and then I go there and I get to know about this uh uh central government sponsored uh institution which is like uh which is called the Sports Authority of India. Mm-hmm. So they have different programs. I signed up for a particular program over there and then I went ahead and you know, they helped me. through i got a non residential scholarship i i did try oh, nice. and then yeah i mean it was like couple of really good years not years like i did not uh, i didn't i wasn't able to stick with it for too long because then again i belong like you are trained to think that you have to study and be educated and which also made sense because you know looking for a career in sports would not have paid my bills you know mm-hmm. help me pay my bills i need to survive mm-hmm. i need to eat mm-hmm. and you know do good so mm-hmm. yeah i had to come and uh, being in sports can be very very uh, i mean with music you need to practice but then the physical exhaustion is a little less than uh you know just running around and practicing cuz mm-hmm. i used to be physically exhausted so i had to pick mm-hmm. between you know going ahead with my education or and going ahead or going ahead with sports so i picked education mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for the con- convenient reasons mm-hmm. and uh, yeah that's how my uh, school went and then i so after after you get to your 10th standard and you give your board exams you need to pick between three streams hmm. right hmm. sarts i'm getting uh, nostalgic science, commerce, <laughs> arts. yeah so 
uh, every Indian parent, like I can literally say every Indian parent, mm. desires their kids to go for science. Well, because at least every Bengali, at least every Bengali parent. So, yeah, definitely. So yeah. go for science, you know, they, uh, because the reason behind is you, you either want their, they, they either want their kids to be doctors or engineers. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is a great thing. I mean, I don't have, uh, I, I don't, you know, despise the idea of studying science, but then, you know, there, there are places, there are situations which I got, which I came across where you know it was difficult for kids to choose what they want because Mm. the parents expected something really specific so it becomes a little sad in those places because you know that's not the only thing in the world that you can do yeah so for me i never saw myself being an engineer or a doctor so Mm. i was asked by my parents that it will be better if you go for your science stream at least for your 11th and 12th and then you know you can just do anything i mean which makes sense because if you go for humanities uh, um, or social sciences you cannot transfer to going into commerce and finance or Mm -hmm. studying physics chemistry maths but then when you do physics chemistry maths you can always change to doing they're like oh now we know that your brain is top shelf. So you yeah. can do whatever other I, shelves. <laughs> I don't know what is the logical sense behind it. Never tried to know. Maybe there is something, mm. some reasons. But um, I was very, uh, I, I told you, I was, I always knew what I wanted exactly. Mm. So I told my father, like, see, no matter what, you won't mm-hmm. see me being in a, go to an engineering school or I'm not trying for medical or being a doctor mm. so it's pointless for me to put all these efforts for two three years and you know end up doing which I already know I want to do mm. so they were convinced so I, I my parents have been very supportive of whatever I wanted it took me a little time every time mm-hmm. to just make them understand what I mean by it but then I had all the liberty to decide what I wanted and what I wanted to do. So I ended up taking, uh, I was not a commerce fan at that point. Like, I know, like, you know, you have to choose between three streams. And I was young. I did not know the world all that much. And I just knew what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I went for humanities, but I really liked mathematics. So mm-hmm. I had humanities, like, you know, uh, economics, uh, geography, humanities, and social sciences. Sorry, I just keep mentioning mm-hmm. humanities, but then I had economics, geography, maths, history, and all those subjects. Like, I don't, I enjoyed my uh, plus two a lot. Hmm. So, but then I. <laughs> that is that is a phrase rarely spoken. <laughs> I know. But then maybe, you know, I felt content in a way because I did what I wanted to do and what I wanted to read more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so going ahead from there, I somehow landed up in studying geography. Mm-hmm. And again, I had maths, mathematics with that and, you know, 
a bit of everything and geography is like semi you know it has a very uh, not the position between humanity social sciences and sciences geography is just somewhere in the middle you can't really mm-hmm. position it in a way mm-hmm. but then uh, when when i was studying geography i felt that maybe this is not exactly what i wanted mm. so but then i realized with all this sub disciplines in a subject like you know now like now after growing up and doing everything there is a multidisciplinary space mm-hmm. where all these disciplines interact with each other you know mm-hmm. i barely had that idea at that point so yeah. it was like a very distinct discipline you know every subject is distinct but there there are so many overlaps everywhere mm-hmm. so did not realize that so mm-hmm. while you know studying yeah that's kind of interesting that you say that because um completely in an unforeseen way i have myself ended up in like some kind of like a weird interdisciplinary thing every next person who asks me what do i do i tend to give them a different answer depending on i look at their face i'm like okay yeah, physics and <laughs> like i am asked by the next person like oh, i study neuroscience and the next person i'm like oh i study vision science and then i'm like i'll tell you psychology <laughs> and there was a time when i would not have guessed that there is even anything that you can study that you can pass off as all of these things mm-hmm, exactly Yeah. So uh, we had this you know very compartmentalized distinctions of subjects mm-hmm. but then when i was doing but then you, even even in our uh, undergrads we are introduced to different sub disciplines but then you, people can't stop this you know overlapping of things right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i came across social geography and uh, political geography which was so which attracted my interest so much mm-hmm. and i'm like okay so it like if i am definitely going to go ahead and get a you know and like you know continue with my education after my undergrads mm-hmm. so but then now i know what i'm going to do exactly mm. so i'm like okay i am going to study cultures because you know society it, it, it used to really interest me from mm. the start mm. so i went ahead and i decided like i i tried to look around like what are the specific subjects which you know would study things like this mm-hmm. so with my little knowledge and a brain of a 20 year old you know with my limited understanding of things I got to know that psychology, sociology, and anthropology will help me understand these things better as mm. you know disciplines. Mm. So I go ahead and apply for ev- all these uh, universities, and eventually I decide to. I got through a couple of them. eventually i decide to go with anthropology because mm-hmm. anthropology seemed to be like it's my postgraduate degree and anthropology seemed to be you know had have a little bit of a diverse diversity in the mm-hmm. way cuz 
there is archaeological anthropology which studies you know prehistory and you have physical anthropology which studies the genetic uh, bit and you know gen genetic uh, evolution of uh, mm -hmm. humans you have linguistic uh, anthropology and you have cultural or social anthropology so, you know, I thought maybe, you know, studying uh, anthropology will give me, you know, with this diverse uh, space that it has, it will be interesting to, you know, just mm -hmm. go for something like that. And I in, I ended up uh, landing a master's in anthropology. Mm -hmm. But then while doing that, always culture interested me more so mm. it was social anthropology without even you know any second thought i always mm -hmm. knew so for my after my master's degree like mm. from the start like from my undergrads i always knew i wanted to continue with my education you know mm -hmm. till as long as i can but mm. didn't really know if i could make it if I will be able to do it because uh, I did have doubts with my ability or potential to continue with it and also uh, different other reasons because it's a matter of uh, time as well right but then you know somehow everything was working in my favor so I was at a point where I had to decide if I if I could go for a doctoral program mm -hmm. and while I was deciding that so in my master's uh, for the last um, you work on a dissertation right so we were uh, we were taken to this village uh, in Andhra Pradesh in India like again in the southern uh, southern part of the country but more on the eastern side Mm -hmm. and this we end up in this tribal village where we stayed there for a month and you know they speak a language which i don't speak but mm -hmm. we have to collect data from there mm -hmm. and interact with people mm -hmm. so that was one hell of an experience like mm -hmm. some place totally different like with no comfort of uh, comfort that we are used to mm -hmm. You know, no sorts of, it's that, that includes even proper water, you know, we, I, I had the first experience of going to a river and take a bath mm. <laughs> and no toilets. And yeah. luckily the place that we were put up, um, it had electricity, but a portion of the village did not even have electricity and it was right by the river. That was one hell of an experience, like an experience of a lifetime. Like it changed my, the way I looked at things. Mm -hmm. So uh, I study, I studied the health seeking behavior or the treatment seeking behavior of people over there. It was a short one month stay and a master's dissertation. And that's when I knew I wanted to do something related to health and medical anthropology. Mm. But then when I was in my master's, uh, before this, um, you know, field work happened, something happened which 
meat which was there in my mind but then you know and then another experience adds and later things adds up and you know okay this is where i i should mm-hmm. you know i want to know more about this mm-hmm. so um i know neil earlier i mentioned to you why like it's a very sensitive thing mm-hmm. i i i mentioned to you i probably not exactly talk about it but then i can just tell you what happened mm-hmm. i came across somebody who like um who ended up having a pregnancy and you know i don't know how to really put this because i don't want to really disclose a lot of things over here mm-hmm. but um it's like she ended up in having a unwanted pregnancy not very old a mm-hmm. uh, young girl mm-hmm. and you know she did take plan b mm-hmm. but then it did not work mm-hmm. and she ended up having a surgery because she had this uh ectopic pregnancy which is where you know the fetus starts developing it does not descend to the uterus it starts uh, developing in the fallopian tube and it can be extremely risky and very very uh, fatal to the uh, mother mm. uh or the woman mm. so that's what happened to her and for some reason for all the back and forth especially because uh abortion is a stigma mm. even if you know the abortion uh, situation in india it's like uh like available accessible to people but then the stigma does not allow people you know to act, to go for it but you know even if you do you want it to be so discreet because you are ashamed of yourself there are so many things going on it's not just about you know the availability it's also so many other things the emotional turmoil and uh, most importantly the stigma again mm-hmm. so for different kinds of back and forth she eventually had to go through a surgery but then you know uh so that was a event not only for her but also for me it just mm-hmm. made me question uh tons of things mm-hmm. tons of things mm-hmm. so that incident and later on you know doing this health seeking behavior uh you know field work everything together i grew this interest of um you know doing something in medical anthropology and specifically reproductive health mm. so i remember the first uh, proposal that i uh, tried to structure for my doctoral program it was obviously on abortion mm. but then i started reading literature uh, reading the literature and studying more about uh, you know things around it things in sociology and anthropology and with different you know talking to different people mm. i eventually graduated to um, or you know uh, change to 
I wouldn't use the word change here. Like it's not appropriate. You mean just for the lack of mm-hmm. any other word in my head. So I got into this research project, which is about the uh, the title of my dissertation is understanding the birth professionals in India. And by birth professionals, I'm I'm looking at the professional midwives, doulas childbirth educators and lactation consultants Hmm. so this is like so um, um, so i'm trying to understand a little bit of the motivation it seems like you uh because of this person you were kind of involved in a series of incidents which showed you that in this world of like pregnancy and birthing and all of these things uh, related things uh there is it seems to be you notice that there was some great lack or some like a lot of things that needed to be looked at and how are how are they um how does the whole thing work and is it possible to reform some of those things um am i correct in thinking that you saw that uh it was not i mean this world was not really as well managed as it could be uh, so yeah you are to an extent yes because hmm. um you know i was just so um uh, you know reading about the abortion laws and everything going on in the u.s and very recently with the mtp act in india being amended i was just revisiting stuff you know learning more about it but then uh you know it's like i came i i was into conversation with different friends of mine and they were telling about sex education in schools mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so sex education is about telling kids mm. about practicing abstinence yeah sex education in india is a joke india and in the u.s as well as mm. far as i know mm. i mean or you can correct they, me if i'm wrong at least they say something about it in the u.s they say don't do it in india yeah. everyone goes around pretending like nobody exactly knows what sex my is point. and the people are just like kind of falling out of the sky exactly my point so abortion is a taboo sex hmm. is a bigger taboo hmm. so where i'm getting at is like you know the stigma just does not pop up from somewhere right yeah when you can't talk about sex an unmarried woman you know having sex is not acceptable mm-hmm. so in spite of having everything else in place if if these women or if these girls cannot go up you know somehow they landed in a situation where they have an unwanted pregnancy mm-hmm. how will they go ahead and tell the society that you know I am pregnant because I had sex. But mm-hmm. the thing is, you're not allowed to have sex. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to, it's not possible to, you know, just go ahead and you're mm-hmm. already 
inner turmoil, emotional, physical, uh, different sorts of things already going on. You're cursing yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're cursing yourself for being in that situation. You're blaming yourself. And then there are everybody around you who is blaming you for, you know, doing what you did. Mm-hmm. So you can understand the kind of pressure or the, you know, situation that the girl is going through. So, yeah, there can be a little bit of a development there because, mm. you know, just I'm I'm like uh, with the development and the amendments that are going that went ahead and where uh, the MTP Act is right now. What it's is like to be act. I don't know anything about it. Okay, so the Medical Termination of Pregnancy Act, which was amended just some time ago, states that, you know, uh, women and their partners, like earlier, it somehow, uh, you know, implied towards married women being able to go for pregnancies, uh, uh, sorry, abortions. But now it's like women and their partners, which somehow Mm. indicates towards even unmarried women, uh, you know, being able to go ahead and seek abortion if there is an unwanted pregnancy. Mm-hmm. There are many other aspects to it, but I'm focusing on just this one because, uh, you know, for the thing that I'm trying to say. Mm. But then, you know, even being able to reach to the clinic and get that done is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you ask what can be changed, what should be looked at, yeah, that is one of the things. Mm-hmm. And it starts from, you know, Start from probably from you know educating people about sex itself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so this this like actual real life experience got you really interested in studying sort of the social and cultural aspects surrounding yes. sex and pregnancy and abortion in India. Yes. Right. So um, now let me ask you a little bit. Uh, thanks, by the way, for a really nice introduction. Sometimes I pe- <laughs> I just throw people off the deep end like, oh, tell me the story of your life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was pretty cool. And I can kind of see how um, having this very multicultural childhood is something that kept drawing you back towards studying uh, culture and and. and society so the next question that i have for you is what has your research in this field looked like you're the first person studying something like this that i've ever spoken to so what does what does what does research in this how has research in this field looked like also i mean you kind of mentioned this i was going to ask was there any resistance from people around you from wanting to study something like this because it's like kind of niche i don't know if you consider it niche um um so yeah uh if i have to talk about resistance about something studying this no i have Mm -hmm. been supported throughout like my Mm -hmm. academically i have been supported a lot but then uh, 
struggle was to you know so uh the birth, like the birth professionals again the professional midwives doulas childbirth educators and lactation consultants hmm. they are very new if i'm allowed to say very new hmm. in india because even a decade ago there wasn't professionals of such kind hmm. you know which who were providing the services that they are providing right now hmm. yeah in like in the past traditional midwifery was the uh the the traditional midwives used to support and help women give birth but mm. after the medicalization and you know um india more being inclined toward the medicalization and hospitalization of birth mm. traditional midwifery has been you know put on a put at a side mm. yeah so, i was actually reading uh, your recent paper yeah. uh 2021 in which you talked about going around and interviewing some of these birth professionals in some centers yeah. uh, in India and I actually really kind of liked the introduction and background part of the paper uh, where you kind of talk about this like um, the medicalization of pregnancy and how uh, western medicine with all these doctors and obstetric obstetricians or whatever gynecologists have basically taken over this whole pregnancy business and has kind of marginalized these more natural childbirth at home practices and they have basically kind of become the authority and say oh all these diagnostic machines and everything this is the source of authority for, yeah. for how a pregnancy should be there have been oh. tons of research mm. on those areas like tons like extremely mm. scholarly uh, research mm. work mm -hmm. so basically uh birthing used to be a woman centered issue like mm. woman issue it is a woman centered issue but you know mm. uh thing about the women so mm -hmm. a man never entered into anything that was related to birthing mm -hmm. and this was before the medicalization you know mm -hmm. before obstetricians taking oh like you know taking care of the birthing mm -hmm. uh medicalization of childbirth did help a lot in catering to the infant and maternal mortality in india mm -hmm. uh but then uh, it's a different uh, thing right now so what uh, what changed is like from a woman's center like a woman's work mm. to you know even men participating in it and then you know being specialized in doing that so mm. that has been a change there has mm. been a change mm -hmm. and now going back to what were the struggles was uh the struggle was to actually find enough people because there are only handful of people right now or at least when i did my field work it was back in 2019 mm -hmm. 18 and then 19 mm -hmm. so you know there were there were like very few handful of people in this mm -hmm. 
in this space where they were providing services to women. So yeah, that 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 was one of the struggles, and that was one reason I literally had to go around so many places in the country to you know collect data and you know do what I intended to do. Yeah. So uh, I guess I just kind of this question just bubbled up in my mind because I feel like it has been in the back of my mind, but I hadn't explicitly verbalized it to myself until now and uh, so what i'm thinking about is basically as i hear all of these different things uh, about the medicalization of pregnancy and doctors kind of taking charge of your pregnancy and then all of these restrictions against abortion to me the kind of um the common theme across all of this is taking away agency and autonomy from the woman um, about uh, basically about birthing, which is like one of the one of the most core things that a woman can do in her life. Basically, taking away her agency and autonomy. And what I wonder, I want to hear your thoughts about this is how much of this is really about health versus it's some kind of a psychological strategy of patriarchy to remain in control. Like giving birth to a human is one of the most powerful things. It's basically what keeps human beings uh, going, the species. So if you... I mean, that's a huge locus of power for the woman. Uh, so to take that away from them and basically to say that, well, we decide when you get pregnant, we decide how you get pregnant, we decide how the baby comes out, we decide whether or not you can terminate a pregnancy is to take away a lot of that power. And even if it is happening under the guise of, oh, it's health and medicine and whatnot or religion, a lot of the times it's religious reasons that you cannot have a pregnancy. I wonder if a lot of the roots of this comes down to men just want to have control and they're kind of scared of giving away so much control and authority to women. Well, that almost unlocks a whole different area of, uh, you know, conversation, which mm -hmm. has been going on specifically right now with the uh, you know uh, situation about abortion you know about everything else so I don't know where exactly I want to start mm. uh, just give me a minute mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. In my area of work, specifically, the conversation is definitely about, you know, just transferring of this power because this was a very woman-centered power, uh, you know, the birthing. But also, you know, uh, like when I think about what it was, and it's also there a little bit in the uh, article that I have, mm -hmm. that birthing wasn't seen like 
I'll give you an example. Like even even in our in Bengali culture, like there was to be this Oshujkar, which they used to call like this post eleven days of birth, where the woman used to stay outside of the household. Like you know, they were not allowed to enter the household. Birthing itself was considered polluting. The act of birthing was considered polluting. So, uh, you know, I don't know how things transferred from just, I mean, you know, it's a very surprising thing in a way because where, you know, it wasn't some space where this men did not even want to enter and then suddenly it just changes to, you know, with so many male actors playing into the situation of course it's like taking away the agency of the women mm-hmm. you know from the act in itself like considering all these things that is happening but it i don't know like i don't know where to just point it out like I mean, this just makes me reflect uh, reflect to one of these conversations that I was having with uh, my friend earlier. Mm. I mean, it's it's so highly disturbing sometimes. Because mm. uh, I remember, I'm, I know I'm all over the place right now. I can just uh, you no, know, bring things fine. together for you. Because there were these questions of how men... Uh, you know, how emotional it is for men to, you know, how do men feel about abortions? Because it's an emotional thing for them too. Mm. So, yes, I agree that, you know, men participate in birthing uh, in some way or the other. Yes, of course, it is an emotional thing. But then the participation, fortunately, unfortunately, is not the same way as a woman does. So, you know, just take ripping someone off from the choices that they have is a more, I don't know how to explain this, it's, it's more difficult for the person. Is it not better to have more choices? So in both talking about abortion and the research area I have, it's like, you know, having access to the abortion clinics is an option Hmm. okay but you can always choose not to get to the abortion clinic Hmm. but what if you want to get an abortion where do you go Hmm. it's the same thing with this uh, with the uh, this alternative way of birthing you know Hmm. all this while that you had was like you know traditional midwifery was set aside you know you were not uh, you're not that's not an option given to women, like, you know, because uh, there are lots of uh, things attached to it. You just have the option to go to an obstetrician. Mm. So that's, and when you have the other sets of uh, service providers, like the professional midwives, the doulas, helping through the process, you have options there. So you can choose what kind of a birth you need. Mm-hmm. So clearly the conversation, the, hu- the main, main 
gist of this conversation is having that choice yeah and by choice choice is a very tricky word you know mm. as you say it's very interesting <laughs> so i don't know if i answered to your question or not but then yeah, yeah. this is a whole different area of discussion mm-hmm. like yeah. we can you can you can literally make a podcast just talking about this oh yeah 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 no um <laughs> it just feels like giving women more choice is somehow threatening to something else um that yeah i i don't completely understand what this is about um yeah but i feel like like having a way to control someone else's body is to basically have them under your kind of psychological control as well uh, basically when i when i'm talking about this i'm trying to imagine in my mind a world in which women have the autonomy and control surrounding all things like pregnancy related um and at most men come in as some kind of like a co-pilot or assistant or collaborator or whatever but basically they're helping with whatever the women choose to do and i yes. think that that world would in some ways really kind of topple some of these power structures that we see today and it would have ripple effects of this power structure toppling uh, that will spread out of just the practice of birthing and into a lot of things about how we see women and you know what kind of um what kind of authority and power do we see women or men having like everywhere so i feel like this this uh uh topic of birthing and pregnancy it's like a locus or kind of a hub and where if things change there there will be like a lot of ripple effects spreading throughout a lot of the other kind of social structures and assumptions um that we carry around so i don't know i mean i mean yes okay. yes i mean i mean i i couldn't agree more with you on this mm-hmm. you know uh but i mean it's it's like a very convenient way but then the, the thing is again there like if you really want uh you know things to it just comes down to when you talk about autonomy and you know agency mm. you have to have choices available you know because mm-hmm. you know the trick is if you just cut down on the choice available you can make person behave in a certain way mm-hmm. because there is yeah. no other option available to that person but if you have choices there mm-hmm. you know that that gives that gives the people the you know agency to decide what they want for themselves and you know no matter what mm-hmm. it's there it's there for you you know yeah 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 so um you did mention that the medicalization of pregnancy did um improve the situation with like infant mortality and things like that um so i mean so that's what a person would 
So I feel like if someone says, okay, let's bring back natural childbirth practices, I feel like the most obvious objection to it would be, oh, that would just be riskier. So what do you say to something like that? Like, what is your vision? Like, can these two, can the medical world and the natural childbirth world somehow kind of work together in some proportion and that would be better than what we have? I mean, uh, so just talking about, just just uh, giving an example of my field sites, mm-hmm. it's like traditional midwifery was uh, like the people, I mean, when I talk about professional midwifery mm-hmm. and doulas, they actually support a huge extent support the natural birth movement mm. where you know the the use of mid you know unnecessary medicine if mm. i can say the word unnecessary medication and you know over medication medicalization like over medication mm. can also be equally harmful right mm-hmm. so with the natural birth coming in these are women uh, like the professional midwives mm. who are trained and licensed and mm. certified so they mm. go through midwifery schools mm. and they are after that they are equipped to you know just uh, go ahead and help women go through mm-hmm. their births mm. but birthing is as much a physical physiological phenomenon as eating your food Mm. so you don't go to a hospital to eat food Mm -hmm. so the thing is why do you like i mean birthing can be very risky Mm. can be very you know there there are aspects to it which can be fatal sometimes Mm. so Mm. there are low-risk pregnancies and high-risk pregnancies but then you know these women are trained in a certain way where they are uh, able to take care of these births. So mm-hmm. going through natural birth is not necessarily something which can uh, be lethal or fatal to the mm-hmm. birthing woman. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of things like throughout the pregnancy, they check your vitals, they keep in check, they, they do antenatal checkups. So these uh, professionals, these doctors, obstetricians can decide, uh, professional midwives, they can understand the tendency because some women tend to have low-risk pregnancy, some ended up, end up in a high-risk pregnancy, and they can, you know, talk about it, and they can understand, and they can decide mm. what kind of a care is necessary for this woman, and recommend something which will be, it's about basically, just to put it in the simplest of words, it's basically about communicating what they are doing and why they are doing. And mm. if the woman is fine, you know, like, you know, just communicating. Yeah. If oh, if if there there is a high-risk pregnancy women and, you know, there is no other way but to have the way to save them and to do things in a safer way is to go for a C-section. Mm. 
communicating it with her you know having mm-hmm. giving all the information mm-hmm. uh and getting her consent in mm-hmm. doing it will make mm-hmm. more sense than just you know put them into something without yeah. you know uh giving them any sort of an information about mm-hmm. it so mm-hmm. that's where the thing lies basically yeah. mm-hmm. so um uh there was this one um sentence in your paper uh, that i liked where you were doing interviews with this uh, uh women who were birth professionals in different birthing centers in india and he said most of these women had become care providers because they wanted other women to have positive birth experiences either because they themselves had beautiful home based midwifery assisted experiences or had undergone traumatic experiences of childbirth in hospitals so there were several things that this made me think about one is that you know um yeah you don't really think of pregnancy and giving birth as a beautiful experience like the picture of it in our minds is kind of a traumatic experience and it's kind of like going in for surgery no one talks about it as a beautiful experience you go in there and this thing happens and oh my god and then um so i find it quite intriguing to consider the reimagination of the birthing practice that you were kind of talking about here and i kind of wonder what it would look like so if you look into the future let's say you're just talking about india how do you see a vision like this playing out like do you feel optimistic that the uh, that this vision of natural childbirth mediated mostly by women is going to gain stronger and stronger foothold and the the medical world is going to play well and and it's going to foster or develop into something beautiful like this like what is your vision for the future of of this field ah uh, neil i'm so glad you noticed that you know because mm-hmm. uh, yeah <laughs> it's it's usually not so much that you know just a woman tells you oh if it's such a wonderful but i had such a great time i did have a lot of my respondents like a lot of birthing women who said that i had a wonderful experience because mm. uh, and uh, just to remind you when it's about birthing it's attached to pain as well Mm-hmm. so um, most of these women f- like you know when we think about birthing and pregnancy the first thing that comes to our mind is the labor and mm-hmm. the labor pain and how can pain be amazing you know mm-hmm. so yeah it's that's how it is you know mm-hmm. that's how these birthing women describe their births to be like you know mm-hmm. it was amazing Mm-hmm. and it was wonderful mm-hmm. so yeah births can be wonderful cuz they are giving you the testimony to having a wonderful birth you know mm-hmm. you got to believe them they just experienced it so mm-hmm. 
yeah going ahead from there uh what i see is these two things can definitely coexist and i see women uh you know understanding it's like understanding a new perspective mm. you know opening doors to something which people never thought before mm. so yeah i see a lot of people you know trying to find these options because again going back to the same thing i said no matter you go for the thing or you do not go for the thing we mm-hmm. all like having options mm-hmm. so making people aware like gradually when people get to know more about this you know that there are professionals out there who can you know such kind of a birth is possible so you know home births water births so these these are basically you know they are they are also sometimes some sort of an exotic experience for a lot of people which is really mm-hmm. satisfying to them in different levels and they and, and there are people of course who end up you know uh, expressing their experiences as amazing mm-hmm. so i definitely see this Uh, you know hospital based births and obstetric practice and you know the other alternative uh, choices of birth coexisting together hmm. and you know you know just wishing the best possible births to every woman like, you know no matter it's a c section no matter hmm. like even if it's a c section or a natural birth or a medicated vaginal birth no whatever it is like you know they just get the best out of you know what like you know the availability and you know getting the best out of that for whatever situation and whatever kind of birth it is that's all you can wish for right mm-hmm. yeah so did you say that while you were here in the US you you yourself assisted in a birth Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, how was how was that experience? What, what kind of assistance did you provide? I mean, so uh while there I started of training as a doula hmm. and a part of the doula uh training and certification uh or you end up uh you have to attend three births to get the certification. so i did attend one birth i though i i did my field work and feel i did my field work in birthing and you know seeing women give birth but i did not actually get to attend a birth cause um the birth centers they are very specific about the privacy mm. element to it because birth is a very intimate experience for mm. women so unless i am a support provider or you know supporting the birth in any way mm. i'm not supposed to be just another furniture in the room which i can't yeah. be like <laughs> i will be a person in the room mm. and that's not the best experience for the birthing women mm-hmm. so this time since i was training as a doula I was supporting the woman through birth and I got to experience and be there during the birth. Mm. 
I mean, with all the different kinds of, uh, you know, bodily substances and blood. Mm. <laughs> like, How was that like, experience? I mean, it, even imagining it, I'm like, oh my God, I don't think I would be able to, you know, be in a room where a person is being born. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's like, it, when I say all these things or think about it, it sounds mm. very gross in a way mm-hmm. but then it's not i it was so 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 wonderful like you know mm-hmm. just seeing the baby crowning i'm like oh my god this is a goddamn human being which is coming out oh, i get nervous <laughs> even hearing about this <laughs> i mean um i went for the prenatal checkups and this, I met this woman who has this big belly and the baby is inside. Mm-hmm. And all I can think is like when the boy was born, I'm like, you were inside there just a while ago. And now yeah. you're out here breathing on your own. <laughs> and just thinking about incredible. the fact that, you know, in the next couple of years, it will, he will be a, you know, grown man. I'm like the thought of it is just so wonderful you know yeah so yeah, it was yeah. it was amazing yeah do you ever imagine like do you ever want to have kids and imagine what your uh what it would be like for you to give birth or what circumstances you would want to do that in <laughs> <laughs> i do want to have kids but then when how if possible i don't know and but then me personally see i don't know there are lots of things which are not in my hands Hmm. like but then personally when i think about it Hmm. i would definitely want to experience a birth you know where i am able to go through the labor and you know experience the Mm -hmm. entire thing in my full consciousness Mm -hmm. i mean this is just what i want Okay, it it can vary from people to people. Your wants, your desires can be very different, which is absolutely fine. And you know, mm-hmm. this is what I want. Like it's, I want to experience it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, I'm know, seeing all these people going through this. You know, yeah. having different sort of an experience. It will be a probably a joyride. Probably, <laughs> it still boggles my mind. When I hear people like you saying, yeah, I really want to have the experience of the pain of labor. I'm like, who? Why does anyone, why does anyone voluntarily desire? I mean, the only really weak analogy that I can put myself into is, you know, if you go to the gym and you work out, it hurts. But you know that you're getting stronger. You know that you're doing something. You're accomplishing something instead of you're sitting at home just watching TV on your couch. So that knowledge, that sense of accomplishment or the meaning that is associated with the pain kind of transforms the experience to the point where um, I've heard that it actually starts becoming a sensation that the mind seeks out. It's like, I want to feel that burn. I want to feel that pain. And when you feel it, you're like, okay, so that's the only re I mean, <laughs> going to the gym and working out, <laughs> it's not the same thing as giving birth to a child. Yeah, you are, but, you, 
Yeah. You're so right, you know. Uh, so, I mean, uh, while the vaccination for COVID was going on, there were a couple of my friends who did not have any sort of a side effect, like immediately, you know, visible yeah. side effect, like, you know, lethargy or temperature or anything. And they were really worried because, <laughs> no, is the vaccine even working? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that. But then getting there, there is this uh, ethnographic work by uh, Cecilia Van Hollen, where she, uh, she, 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 her, her book was one of the first books that I read before I started, you know, with so this my... This is a 2003 publication, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. it is. It mm is. -hmm. So she talks about, uh, she, her work is in Tamil Nadu in India, like the southern part of the country. Mm. And where she goes, and a lot about pregnancy experience is about managing pain and talking mm. about pain relief. Mm. You know, people go through epidurals, pain medications to reduce the labor pain. So I yeah, heard of something pain, called hypno birthing yeah is that to so, reduce pain uh yes yes these okay. are ways of uh, you know pain management mm -hmm. so a lot of it goes to understanding how the pain is managed or perceived by the women and you know talking about the even the medicines and you know all the uh, other medications that goes into managing the pain part uh, specifically that's a lot about understand. So that's one part of understanding, you know, birthing experiences of women. So when she was there and she mentions that in the book, where the first thing we expect is for these women to take some sort of a medication where, you know, they have less pain, mm. less pain to no pain during labor. But she found out that these women were, uh, you know, requesting for uh, oxytocin and pitocin, where uh, these are uh, medical inductions, where, you know, you, uh, so the labor, basically, the natural labor basically takes its own good time. And it varies from women to women of how long the labor goes on. So when you take this uh, medical inductions, it just paces up the labor. So mm -hmm. it paces up the birth, birthing mm -hmm. process. So the pain basically describes. So what usually happens is the you this uh, when a woman gets into labor and gradually you know slips into active labor through that point uh, through through it it's like you have contractions and then a little bit of a gap and then contractions mm -hmm. so when the contractions become more frequent and the time between the two contractions becomes more frequent that's how you understand when a woman is in active labor and also with the with how much dilated the woman is like you know it depends on the cervical opening so so gradually with the contraction the pain gets more intense so with the medical induction the pain becomes very intense 
and the contraction becomes very little. So you have a constant pain and it pains a lot. What? So there and are women, women who want this. Yes. So when you talk about going to the gym and having that muscle ache and knowing that, oh, it's working. So that's how it is. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's like going to the gym and wanting to, you know, bash your head against the wall. <laughs> No, no, I'm just kidding. Only that you you know that's not going to help your body in any way. You probably don't want that pain, but rather want to go and do a little bit of, you know, more bench press or squats. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. I remember, um, so years ago with an ex-girlfriend... We were talking about, oh, having kids or something like that. It's just funny to even think that we went so far in discussing that. And I was like, oh, I don't think I need to have kids because I can't even imagine how painful this whole situation is going to be for you. (laughs) So, yeah, there's definitely some kind of mental bridge or gulf there that I'm still on this side of. And then there are other people on the other side of it. Well, even when it comes to the idea of having kids, I'm on this side of the gulf. Like, I have no idea why anyone would have kids. But, uh, yeah. I mean, now when you asked me that if you want to have kids, uh, yeah, right now I would say yes. But actually, when it's about having them, Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to react to it Mm -hmm. or how I'm going to feel about it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before I ask you some a concluding question? Uh, I don't have anything in specific that I want to talk about, but mm-hmm. you can go ahead and ask me whatever. Yeah. So, uh, what does the kind of immediate to long-term future look like for you? So, you're still finishing or you're still getting your PhD and then sort of what do you want to do afterwards? What plans or dreams or visions of the future do you have at the moment? I mean, for like in the long run, honestly, I don't know. Hmm. We, we can never really specify. But then for my immediate future, hmm. I definitely want to continue with research because hmm. it's, so interesting again it's a joy right mm-hmm. <laughs> not always but then yeah yeah overall it is so yeah i want to go ahead like after my doctoral degree i would uh want to go for a postdoc after this mm-hmm. but then let's see what happens so yeah mm-hmm. research is my aim because mm-hmm. that's my that's what i am trained in and if I can do anything decent, like me, just me, I can mm. do decently is that's what, that's the skill that I have been trying to develop all this while. Mm-hmm. So I would want to go ahead with that rather than just exploring something totally different. Yeah. So yeah, that's my immediate uh, future plan. But in the long run, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I can only hope that Something that I like is that you kind of followed your 
interests you know you had this kind of experience in real life and that made you decide this is what i want to follow it was a real life experience and you followed your passion and your interests um and it's always nice for me to hear something like that because that's also something that i try to do uh so whenever i hear something like that it's kind of like a validation or reinforcement that you know okay just just see what's interesting in life and follow it and you know don't be scared <laughs> and it's going to be if nothing else it's going to be fun you know yeah uh, so yeah and thanks a lot for coming on my podcast i hope this was a good conversation for you even oh though this God. was kind of uh, remote but i know yeah. could have been better you know in person always better in person but then i'm so glad that we did this you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and thank you so much for this yeah. sometimes like every day when i just sit for work and you know do things i don't think about from where i started or what i mm. did earlier it's mm. sometimes it's really nice to rethink of how things has been and the journey that uh, we have you know traveled to get mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. whatever sort of a journey it is so thank you so much today yeah. you know after a very long time i revisited yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. yeah, yeah absolutely thanks for joining us today in the room of lives take care until next time